0: Hello, and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 38 It's Good to Be the King. If you have been listening to the latest episodes as fast as you can, and let's face it, why would you not? You would have heard of the episode I did on the Great Exhibition and the Crystal Palace. You would also recall that a part of the design requirement in the building of said Crystal Palace was that it could be easily removed with little to no impact on the park. And that park was Hyde Park. Hyde Park is the largest royal park in London and covers 350 acres. It's believed that the name comes from the unit of measurement called the Hyde, that's H-I-D-E, which represented the amount of land it would take to support a single family. While today it has large open expanses of green, way back when it was a heavily forested and part of the grounds of Westminster Abbey. Up until the Middle Ages, it was used for firewood and also for game. But it became Hyde Park in 1536 when Henry V, who was a massive fan of hunting and eating basically anything he could kill, decided that the area was perfect for him. It was close to his palace and could accommodate plenty of animals that the king could then go and kill. So he took it off the church and made it his own park. Like I said, it's good to be the king. But King James I, he made the park semi-public in the early 1600s, and then Charles I made it a public park in 1637. From there, I can jump through to our century of choice. And yes, I'm skimming some of the 18th century occurrences, but that's how it works around here. After the defeat of Napoleon, it was in 1814 that the various European nations that had fought against the Little Corsican all met at a great fair celebrated in Hyde Park and another fair in 1821 which celebrated the coronation of King George IV. You remember him, party animal extraordinaire. The area around Hyde Park became more gentrified as the century moved on and so plans were made to create a better, more grand entrance to the park. Now those plans were created... But with King George III having changed Buckingham House to Buckingham Palace, it was decided to make it a little bigger and a little grander. The reason being that this was really close to the new palace. So for processions or other major events that might travel through this area, the government wanted everything to be as grand as possible. I've heard it often said, no one does pageantry quite like the UK. And it's details like this that give rise to that opinion. And this is all within walking distance of the palace. I've been lucky enough to travel and stay in London at the Cumberland Hotel. I believe today it is is now a hard rock hotel. Times do change. Um, it was right opposite the Marble Arch, just there on Oxford Street, and I could throw a stone and have it land in Hyde Park, and I could easily walk down to the new artwork that was being created at this time by a man with the seriously cool name of Decimus Burton. I will admit the Decimus part is no doubt way cooler because of the film Gladiator, so props to his parents for being ahead of the game by some 270 years. Now, Decimus was one of those insanely talented men that while you might not know their name, you will know their work. Whenever you see all those Greek or Roman inspired columns on one of the big buildings in London when James Bond is saving the world, well, it's largely thanks to Decimus. Decimus had been the student of one John Nash. Nash was just as brilliant in building and design and he'd been the man who created Buckingham Palace and also that marble arch I just mentioned. I briefly mentioned him back in episode 16, so we've got a supremely talented architect and his student who had just as much talent. I mean, let's face it, there is a really good reason why Hyde Park and the structures there look so amazing. With having John Nash as his mentor and his own talents and connections, Decimus had a lot of friends in very high society, including the future Queen Victoria, so there's a reason why he got all the good architectural gigs. This included the fact that our man Decimus designed and built the original London Zoo. And as a point of trivia, and you know I love my trivia, his cousin was Sir Walter Scott. Scott was another extraordinarily talented man who was a historian, novelist and poet, among other things. I mean, he wrote Ivanhoe and Rob Roy, for heaven's sake. My favourite monument in Edinburgh is dedicated to Scott, and argue with me all you want, but I am saying that Thunderbird 3 was inspired by it. Just saying. Also, it's pretty awesome. Getting back on track, Decimus was madly creative, and it was his designs that were used for what became the Wellington Arch, as well as the Wellington Statue. This is the major junction point where multiple streets of London converge and just nearby is Aspley House, which was the home of the first Duke of Wellington. As you might recall, he was the guy who defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, so it was kind of a good place to put monuments to him. Decimus wanted to make a park that celebrated everything about the kingdom, its heroes and also the royal family. He created new pathways and also designed and supervised the construction of the various gates and entrances into Hyde Park. And to give you an idea of just how well he did, the major street junction where the Wellington statues were placed was known as Hyde Park Corner. This name was actually used as a code word for notifying the government of the death of King George VI in 1952, which saw us all then be lucky enough to have Queen Elizabeth II come to the throne. And if you're a fan of the Netflix show The Crown, well, episode two of season one that saw the death of King George and Elizabeth taking said crown was called Hyde Park Corner. I still miss her. Now, as I mentioned, on the corner near where I stayed is an incredible piece of architecture known as the Marble Arch. I mean, it's so famous that the tube station there is called the same name, right there at one end of Oxford Street. For those Monopoly fans out there, the aforementioned John Nash had designed it as being the main gateway into Buckingham Palace. However, with the need to expand the palace thanks to Queen Victoria's ever-expanding family, changes had to be made. But Decimus didn't want to destroy the arch, so he had it relocated to its present-day position. It actually took four years to move it, stone by stone, and was finally completely rebuilt in 1851. I have to admit, I am really annoyed with myself actually, because reading all about this has made me realise I didn't pay enough attention to the monument when it was right there across the street. I mean, it even had functioning rooms that were used as a police station until 1968. And one of the officers who was stationed there in the 1860s was one Samuel Parks, who would later go on to be decorated with the Victorian Cross for the legendary Charge of the Light Brigade during the Crimean War. Oh, and just so you know, that spot where the Marble Arch now stands used to be known as Tyburn Gallows, and people were hanged there from the 12th century through to the 18th. So that's a solid 600 years, and it's estimated that more than 50,000 men were hanged there over that time. Moving on, Hyde Park also hosted that great exhibition in 1851. See Podcast 34. Later in 1857, on the 26th of June, Hyde Park hosted the first ever investiture of recipients for the Victoria Cross. And yes, the brave Samuel was there for that event. Victoria Cross is the highest military honour within the British Empire and it remains so today and it was begun in Hyde Park with 62 men receiving the honour. Her Majesty Queen Victoria and her husband were of course there along with Crown Prince Frederick William of Prussia. Prince Frederick was there. Well, why? It's a good question because he was the beau of the Princess Royal who was also named Victoria. She was Queen Victoria's daughter Better known as Vicky. They were married the next year, and it's their son, Wilhelm II, that would rule Germany right through the First World War. It's not Hyde Park related, but I do like emphasising just how close all these royal houses were, as you might recall from me talking about Ernest Augustus. Anyway, 1887 found our Queen celebrating her Golden Jubilee, and Hyde Park was a major centre for celebrations. This included an event on the 22nd of June where they fed 26,000 schoolchildren a free meal and, in a surprise to all those in attendance, Her Majesty and the Prince Consort attended. Later in her life, after Albert had passed away, Queen Victoria had her carriage driving through the park twice a day. The park also has some interesting spots to visit, including a memorial to Diana, Princess of Wales. One point of interest that would have been there in the 19th century, though, is that there is an 18-foot tall statue of the Greek hero Achilles. It was ordered by George III and installed in 1822. This was actually the first statue put into the park and was made using an incredible 33 tons of bronze. But Heath, I hear you ask, where do you get 33 tons of bronze? Seems like quite a lot. Well, As it turns out, the Duke of Wellington kind of helped out in the building of his own statues. Because the bronze came from the cannons that the Duke had captured in his campaigns throughout France. Not bad when you think about it. Overthrow the Emperor of France, take his guns, make a statue. What I also love is that the statue of Achilles was modelled on an Italian one, which is fine, but they've given the statue the face of the Duke of Wellington. (laughs) And if that wasn't enough, the statue was actually originally fully nude. But given the time it was made in, they actually modified it so that there was a fig leaf in place to satisfy certain sensibilities. But putting aside fig leaves and statues, another point of interest in Hyde Park is the area known as Speaker's Corner. It's right on the edge of the park, near the Marble Arch and Oxford Street. And in 1872, Parliament set aside this area for public speaking. I mentioned just before that where the Marble Arch stands is where they used to execute criminals, and the horribly high number that had died there, but one of the courtesies extended before you were killed was that you got to have your final words. But over time, the public executions became a problem with more rowdy elements causing problems, so they moved the executions to Newgate Prison. But the tradition of free speech at this corner continued, and it kind of metamorphed into a defining spot for people to speak or protest. It might be where you started your protest, heading off down the streets, or it might be where you ended up, but it just became that spot that you had to go to in some way with your demonstration. For example, in 1855, the government attempted to restrict Sunday trading More importantly, they were trying to restrict the opening times on pubs. Sometimes people really are monsters. Naturally, this brought out a lot of people. 200,000, actually. Karl Marx, he of communism fame, described the protest as the beginning of the English Revolution. Why on earth governments try to stop drinking is beyond me. And also, American prohibitionists should really have known their history. People don't like it when you take their beer. But its transition into Speaker's Corner as we know it now really began in 1866, because it was in that year when the Reform League began advocating for a more permanent extension to the ability to speak freely here. The Reform League were fighting for the rights of all men, regardless of social or financial status, to be able to vote. For the record, this wasn't part of the suffragette movement, Sorry ladies, that's going to take a while longer. Firstly, there was also the Chartist League. They were called this for following the Charter of 1838, which was a document that was stating what men thought was needed in a proper democracy. That is, basically one man, one vote. The Reform League came later on and was advocating the same basic thing, and it was in 1866 that their protest was so big that it was roughly two miles long through the streets of London. When the first protest carriages got to Marble Arch, though, the police had closed the gates. Oops. Now, today, you can easily wander and enter Hyde Park wherever you like. But when the protesters arrived saying everyone should get a vote, the area had been fenced. There are only certain entry points into the park. Also, there were about 1,600 police there, as well as a lot of rich people sacrificing their carriages in aid of blocking free men getting a political voice. Once again, apologies ladies. But the fencing wasn't actually that great, and when you have a lot of people being denied something that they want, well, fences got torn down and men flooded into the park. Now, given that I said that there was about 200,000 people there and you had two miles of street filled with protesters, you can begin to imagine that even if a small percentage of that number start flooding into the park, it's going to cause some serious problems. Because that's when the police called in some military support. The Royal House Guard, cavalry for us not in the military, they arrived. Reportedly, the crowds shouted three cheers for the guards, the people's guards. Someone somewhere must have had some sense because the Royal House guards held back. Certainly, they kept the watch and didn't leave, but nor did they try and escalate the issue. Now, given these days with protests, you can see this going very, very badly, but no one was going to win in any way here if things got ugly. And I mean really ugly, because there was some serious restraint being shown already. The protesters were throwing stones at the police, and this demonstration went on for three incredibly stressful days. That's three days of rioting and industrial action in the heart of London. Sadly, during this time, one police officer was killed, but fortunately, that was the only fatality. During this time, the leaders of the protest met with the Kingdom's Home Secretary, This is a position that exists to this day, but at that time it was being held by Spencer Horatio Walpole. He was told by the protest leaders that bloodshed would escalate if this continued, and so to everyone's relief, he restrained from following a more aggressive path. Finally, the police managed to get the matter under control, and the leaders of the protesters agreed to a meeting in Trafalgar Square. This was far from a peaceful event, However, while there was some violence throughout the three-day protest, the leaders of the Reform League had striven to maintain discipline among their members. This group was known for protesting, certainly, but in a well-controlled manner, generally. The Hyde Park Railings Affair, as it became known, made the protest leaders household names and led to all sorts of speaking engagements around the country and it was in the following year of 1867 that the Reform Act was passed into law, giving working-class men the vote for the first time. As I said, Speaker's Corner exists to this day, but there is some control over it, though. You can't just go there and say anything. The police need to consider your speech lawful. So while ideas are allowed... Hate speech or sedition is definitely frowned upon, although in recent times the fines handed out have basically been in relation to the use of profanity. But if you do go there to Speaker's Corner, you would be getting your chance to speak aloud, to have your thoughts heard, just like so many more before you. And if you do so, well, take pride, dear listener, because you're carrying on the legacy of former speakers such as George Orwell, Karl Marx, and Vladimir Lenin. And here endeth the episode. You can find me at victoriangaslamp.com. My contact details are on there as well. And you can follow me on Twitter, at vicgaslamp, And more importantly, on Instagram, where I post historical facts and trivia, as well as photos related to the episodes. I am at victoriangaslamp, or one word, there as well. Thanks for listening and keep a lookout for new episodes. And as always, I'll see you next time under the gas lamp.